First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Tripping.com. Save time and money while booking the perfect vacation rental by going to Tripping.com slash badchristian. Today's show is also sponsored by Beachbody On Demand. Get a free trial membership when you text BADCHRISTIAN, all one word, to 303030. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Three, two, one, hit it! All right, all right. That was the express intro. Yeah, and the reason why is because we have an awesome guest coming on, and he might hop on at any minute. So we want to be kind of in a hurry. We got super fast, guys. Talk faster, Joy. Yeah, yeah. Say everything really fast. You got a joke? I was just wondering what y'all ever listen to it when on like the slow version. You can do it on you know the it's so fun. Any podcast you listen to is so funny. It's drunk. Yeah. So no. How about the people that listen at one point five or two times speed? I've been told that most people that many people listen at two times speed. Except for a lot of people say they can't listen to me on two times speak because I talk too fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're they're definitely podcastaholics that that it's they just used to it now. They want to listen to it. so much podcast. I, I so think it's podcasts. wrong unless you're really listening to like a lecture or something where you're literally just getting information. But if you're trying to be entertained or care about the way that somebody speaks, now I probably do talk too fast. I wish I talked slower. Um, but I'm trying to do it slow now. I do believe that people's natural gait. And pause and the way that they speak, it is part of the art form. So I feel like you're kind of stepping on it a little bit when you try to speed it up just to get the date out of it. I think you kind of yeah. mess it up. Yeah. Well, I, I want to propose a question to you guys and maybe even okay. leave it as a question for our listeners because I haven't propose. even really thought it through. Go ahead and propose. I, I've, ta- I've recently talked to a lot of people that I think a lot of folks would consider them progressive thinkers in the church. But I was talking to one of them about our house church and just how I, I, I try to avoid any like central teaching or one person leading everybody and, hey, let's hear from everybody and then discuss that. And there's a knee-jerk reaction with a lot of people that say, yeah, but you, yeah, but you have to clarify at some point like where you guys stand as an organization and everything. And I, I keep resisting that, and it goes against everything I've ever been taught. But here's why I, I resist that is we're going to have a guest coming on right now that's going to school us in how we've been led astray for, uh, I mean, a long time in church history and how we teach penal substitution and the fact that God right. had to be appeased by sending Jesus. And so it's like, if you look at discipleship, so let, let's look at discipleship. That's like a, a, a word in which churches say, yeah, you got, you got to spread leadership. You got to raise people up and all that stuff. But it's like with what, with where I'm at in my headspace and how I have so many questions, how do I, how do I even disciple someone? And I think that there's this nagging inclination in my heart to, to say, no, let's, let's discipleship. If you want to use that word, let's use it in helping people understand that we don't know stuff. Like, so, yeah. so a lot of the people that I've been talking to, they're like, yeah, but you have to stand for a certain set of here's what we believe. And I don't think we do. I don't think we need to anymore. I think it is a okay to have a community of people where everyone gives input and we all try to figure things out together and we don't have a list of, yeah, but at the end of the day, this is what we're sticking mm-hmm. with. I, I kind of think if the church doesn't start adjusting to that, we're just going to lose people at even a mm-hmm. more magnified rate. We have well, to. Well, I think you're right, but there's a couple of baseline assumptions that go along with, yeah, but you have to or else. So a lot of the threat there is if you don't make a the right kind of structure and leadership then you can't grow big enough as an organization as a thing. That you know what I mean? Like you it won't be able to self perpetuate and dominate and take over and get larger. Right. That's right. kind and of that's, implicit. That's not... Right, I know. If but that, it shouldn't. 
That's right. my point. Like, it, it shouldn't. That's that's kind of like the whole... I just did an episode of Break It Down that I, I would love for you to listen to, especially if you have a chance um, to think about with your house church. Now, it's about Bitcoin and decentralized technology. Yeah. And, you know, I'm interested in Bitcoin, the blockchain, those things, but really decentralization as a concept is like the most exciting thing yeah. to me possible. And it's like the... It's almost... Let me see if this makes sense. It's almost what I've always been searching for and not been able to put a name on it because I like, I hate uniformity and I hate conformity and things just being a certain way and the rules and everything being the way they are. And I have some problems with authority, which maybe are problems, but many people do. And I'd like to suggest for good reason. Yeah. I don't, I, I think leadership culture, if there's such a thing, is kind of bullshit. Like the thing where it's leadership seminars and it's leadership podcasts about leadership to make you be a good leader. So you lead the others and you lead, lead. I think that stuff it can be nonsense. And it all traces back to people wanting a king or a Donald Trump or a, uh, Israelites wanting a king or a strong man or a dictator or whatever yeah. it is. That's where that, that leads. It's like you want authoritarian structures in place because it makes you feel better and you get to farm stuff out but the, there's a gigantic liability when things are centralized centralized powers are almost always have inherent problems with them but they helped us evolutionarily get through life yeah. like there's a leader of the tribe and at least we're together you know he's not a great the ju- first thing you'd ever want would be a judge you want a person to right. just adjudicate and you look right. to him and you defer to him the authority well now you have a guy that's going to make decisions and right. fail so you've you've and taking control and power away from you. Yes, necessary. But in the long run, decentralization is possible and is the is the better future. So a decentralized a, a democracy is is decentralized instead of right. a, you know, monarchy or a dictatorship. And that's good because we yeah. decentralize things, we put it in multiple hands and and the far and the internet is a great example of that. And of course, blockchain technology for Bitcoin means that all the money is this non-centralized ledger. It's not Chase Bank, J.P. Morgan, with their central servers put inside a building and protected. And if they do good, it's good. If they do bad, it's bad. It's not that. It's uncontrolled, but more secure than even a controlled thing can be. Yeah. So decentralization can happen, and it can be better and even more accountable and with less liability if you can build it, if you can get there. But what it does is means that nobody, no individual has the power. No central right. thing has power. And in the case right. of church, no brand or mega church pastor or system of whatever it is has the grip on the power and the, and I, of the I church do, authority. It's just a good it's a good way to think. I do think leadership is something, and I think it's something of value. And I agree with your assessment of all the leadership. Uh, craze it's sometimes and, a necessity is what right, I'm right right but, but but here's the thing i i don't think that includes getting dibs on truth of god <laughs> like of that's not. that's not where you lead like if if you're going to lead in any way when it comes to your theology lead from the standpoint of yeah there's a lot of stuff i just don't understand but that is really tough for pastors who have basically been trained to be responsible That's, for a flock and that to might need be a to have con- oh, i i yeah. think it is a mistake because I, I, here's I, why accountability and discipleship you know are very very uh bastardized words that we we just I just they don't we don't think of those words right accountability and discipleship are both things that can happen and and do happen largely in decentralized ways and it's because the the accountability of my whole family and my community and every christian brother i know that's my accountability it's my reputation it's who how i interact if i'm being transparent and authentic and living an integrated life i have that and that is balanced based on the community and the people that i allow into my life and trust that's better than selecting one guy who announces that he would like to disciple me. Right. That's that's a bigger liability. That guy can sexually abuse you or lead you astray or compromise you or betray you all, all because he has good leadership skills yeah, well, or he's been placed above you in a local hierarchy and he says it and he feels that he needs that to validate his own, you know, I'm not saying that's everybody that disciples somebody or is their accountability partner. I'm not saying that, but obviously you, there's a big trade-off when you go that route. And and let's take it to its let's take it to its basic form. If if John if Pastor Johnny disciples Mark and Pastor 
uh, Gordon uh, disciples Charles, those two guys have the potential of having completely different Christian beliefs, completely different practices, completely different approaches to God's word and how you do church and all that stuff. So who's, who's right? Like what if one of them was a horrible discipler and has everything wrong. Like, what if I sit down, sit someone down and say, yeah, I want to disciple you, and then I teach them a bunch of bullshit that I, at that time, think is totally legit and totally right. okay. I mean, at some point, we have to question a little bit and say, huh, maybe we need to look at this a little bit differently. Yeah, I would urge you to resist leadership as much as possible. But I you're do want to disciple the, you guys. Laying, that's yeah. I want to disciple you guys. You're being sacrificial well, when you don't exercise power to right. some degree, and it means that yeah, your church may not get as big. Right. And you're if you're so confident, the thing that pastors get trained into or, or lost is they want that weight that they put on themselves. They yeah. gravitate toward that. They want to be in charge of souls. That makes them feel important. I'm right. in charge of this person's soul. Souls. That's not healthy for you. It isn't healthy for you to be that for somebody else. Right. It may be necessary, but I mean, I have kids and I'm authority over them, and it about kills me. I mean, I don't even like it. It's, I mean, to- Toby, and, you you recognize you know, the change in me because when you first came on staff at James Island, I mean, I different definitely saw this differently. I saw that as a responsibility I had. Now I saw I saw you and I as as more peers than anything, but I definitely yeah. approach ministry as now I, I gotta I gotta that's raise that's, people up. It's unhealthy, right? I mean, it can be. All right. Uh, last week we were snowed in for so many days and just couldn't go anywhere and drive anywhere. Couldn't get out. Couldn't get to the gym. And once again, Beachbody on Demand was just so perfect for those days. And for any day, honestly, but it was just so amazing that I had a full workout every single day right in the comfort of my own home. And whether I wanted to do it from my phone, whether I wanted to do it from the TV, wherever, all my link devices, I can do it. Because Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. Beachbody On Demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. And as you guys know, I struggle with those health and fitness goals. <laughs> That's why it's so awesome. Like, I mean, what's so cool about Beachbody is it's always there. So I really don't have an excuse. I can even do one minute of it if I want. I can do as many minutes, as many hours, whatever I want to do. But eat, no matter what, I can do an exercise for one minute if I want. I mean, the, the trainers are great. All the different workouts they can do. They're all, you, you know, the familiar brands like uh, Pio, P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fit. I mean, they have yoga. I mean, everything is just great about this. And that's why we love Beachbody On Demand. It's convenient. It's accessible on your computer, your web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device. No need to go to a gym or schedule a class. Everything is right there on your personal device. And that's true. You don't have to leave anywhere. You don't have to spend that time getting dressed and going somewhere. You can work out in your underwear if you want. Traveling. You can do the workouts in your hotel room. No time. Beachbody On Demand has workouts that range from 10 minutes to over one hour. Just like I was saying, work out as long as you want. I mean, just work out. Get that exercise in. Be healthy. Uh, that's what I tell myself, and it works. It really does. And not, not 100% of the time, but if I go, uh, let me hop on Beachbody real quick and do a quick workout, it always motivates me. So you need to give this service a try. Right now, our listeners can get a free trial membership, free. When you text bad Christian, all one word, no spaces, to 303030. Let me say this again. It's a free trial membership. Free. So text bad Christian, all one word, no spaces, to 303030. You will get full access to this entire platform for free, all the workouts and nutrition information, which is rad, for free. Just text bad Christian to 303030. I like what you were saying, talking about blockchain in the future, too. Like, that pushes against everything that uh, oftentimes a church says. Yeah, those house churches, they can be, you know, small groups, they can be important, but the big church can really, it has all the money and resources that you want. But how about a million house churches? Right. That, and, and, right. and they're all five to 10 people, and every single one of them are giving. We talked in a recent episode where, like, I mean, most churches don't get even 20, 30% of tithes. Right. Like people aren't even tithing to them. So imagine a church where everybody's accountable and on mission and together, and you have connected together, decentralized, 
uh, a million house yeah. churches all over the world. Not we have just a, America we have or 100%. South Carolina. But who will control them? Who will control them? What if they right. do better? I mean, but the giving not, might would even be more efficient and better and be. freer and real, and the ownership of it would be good. So all those things are really powerful. And what's neat is, I mean, all this is going to change through technology, no through culture. It. So we can't be scared. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm in culture. I'm not of a of it or whatever the saying is or all that stuff. But that, it can really. There's so That's much wisdom and value in all exactly. Right. That's why you don't go see yeah, movies right. or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> I, I'm just saying all this can add to it. And so what we're seeing is that decentralization, just the idea of a church that's a house church where how many people go to your house church, Joey? Uh, well, I got to really think about this because I don't want to give too low of a number. Let me let me just round it to 100. Now, there's, <laughs> there's probably like 20 adults. Right, 20 adults. And, every, and I bet you all – talked and are pretty open about giving and maybe you don't have it to give and right now give. or whatever. Right. And they all give. So gives. so what I'm saying is that means the accountability level is already one billion times more than a mega church has. I know yours is smaller. I know it's only twenty people and they have twenty thousand people, right? But that their percentage of people that are actually giving is maybe even even a health if it was fifty percent. Only 50% of those people are giving. Now, what happens when you have so many house churches that there's 20,000 people, but they're all independent, they're all figuring out stuff they're all doing, and then a tsunami hits somewhere bad, all those 20,000 people, you know they're Without giving. Without central organization, right, right, right. they will do that. They will because they have they even ownership of it. Well, they have the Holy Spirit, don't they? Yes, uh, How about exactly. this? The, go- the gospel, to me, is is pretty clear I mean, it, it pretty clearly matches this, and I don't think it's just religiously. I believe this is true about anything that you're trying to do. So maybe this is a little tip for you. I call it the secret. Here's motivational. Uh, I love that book, by me. the way, Paul Young. <laughs> um, you can accomplish more if you don't need credit. You can accomplish more if you don't need credit for what gets accomplished. So you can you can yeah. self-assess there what that means for you. But trust me, it's true. You know, I mean, it, it, it's that's the problem with the organizations and churches and people is they, they they want credit, they like it, they want it, but you can accomplish more without it. I mean, like I don't know, and decentralization is obviously inevitable, and everybody likes it as soon as something gets up. We have a. Uh, would you rather have the guy down the street who watches a lot of movies tell you what's a good movie or a bad movie, or Rotten Tomatoes aggregate, uncontrolled decentralized? aggregate things serve us so well. Expedia is better than calling Delta. I mean, okay. I mean, that's not exactly decentralization, but you know, you get the point. It, it's an aggregate phenomenon and it can is more powerful. But who's in charge of it? Well, nobody. Hey, are we that's, that's are, good. Are we really gonna let uh Toby off the hook for saying that the book called The Secret is written by Paul Young? <laughs> oh, it's the shack. <laughs> What's the secret? Oh, right. Damn that. it. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> I love Paul. I was trying to give him a little plug. You're right. It's the Shack. The Secret's a whole different thing. I think. So he said, "Yeah, it? yeah, I love that book, Paul Young, The Secret." Wait, oh. you thought I was you thought I was talking about the Shack? No, that? you said the Secret, and I was just thinking it sounds the same in my head. The Secret, the Shack. I'm 41. I got like seven hours left on this world. I don't know what I'm what? doing. Uh, doesn't Oprah like both of them? Oh, that's probably, the connection, oh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. She endorsed both of those. She's going to be our next know? president. So Paul Young might be like chief of staff or something. Paul, yeah, the cabinet is Paul Young, the guy that wrote the secret. Rob uh, Bell. Rob no, Bell. That's the lady that wrote the secret. No, that's the lady uh, that wrote the secret. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise will be secretary no, the, of defense. Who's the uh, <laughs> Alan DeGeneres? Eckhart Tolle is the secretary of defense on the. It's Deepak Chopra is the Secretary of State. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's uh, bring on Pastor Chuck Queen. He's going to be. Uh, I'm. I'm really excited about this interview. Me too, dude. Me too. Hey guys, pardon the interruption, but I got to tell you about a website that is amazing, and you're going to find it very useful. I just had a call last week with the people at Tripping.com. And it's terrific. My wife and I are already using it. We're going on a vacation soon. We're going to take our oldest daughter, Georgia, to New York. So if you see her, please don't spoil the trip. It's a surprise. But we're looking to find the perfect place to stay, which is quite overwhelming. And we used to travel with her, and we'd stay in hotels, and it just didn't have the right amenities. In fact, we used to make her sleep in the bathroom on an air mattress right beside the bathtub, just so we could stay up and watch TV. But with Tripping.com, we can find exactly the kind of place that we're looking for with multiple bedrooms or a kitchen, whatever it is. It's not just hotels. It's vacation rentals, apartments, everything. They've got so much properties on there, and we've already found some really good deals exactly what we're looking for, and it's going to make our whole trip much better. Let me tell you how it works. 
With Tripping.com, one search lets you filter, compare, and sort over 10 million available properties on trusted sites like VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and more. So don't wonder if you're getting the best deal because you'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. So don't forget, if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation rental for your next trip, head to Tripping.com slash badchristian today. That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash badchristian. Tripping.com slash badchristian. So what is a penal substitutionary atonement? Uh, substitute atonement is the the idea that Jesus had to die, uh, bearing our sin debt, our guilt, uh, our punishment on Himself uh, to make possible uh, God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, our the penalty of our sin was placed on Christ uh, in exchange. Um, if we trust him, then we are forgiven our sins and accepted with God. There's a lot of different ways that uh, people explain it, but uh, the, the, basic, the basic idea of substitutionary atonement is that Jesus had to die. It was absolutely necessary um, in order to pay the penalty of our sin debt, in order to bear our uh, punishment, uh, to uh, bear the penalty of our sins, so that we could be forgiven. Yeah. Which seems like a central tenet of Christianity for the most part, in that, I mean, it, you know, I can imagine an outside point of view saying, what's the deal with Christianity? Oh, that's the one where Jesus died on the cross for those people because they were bad. And so yeah, there you go. He became so, sin. Right. Right. It, it, it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's a, you know, the, the, the New Testament never specifically explains uh, the imagery of sacrificial death. Uh, but uh, many Christians, as I was taught uh, and, and in my early training, uh, it was impressed upon me that this is the gospel. Yeah, uh, right. That, that uh, it's not a theory. It's not not just one explanation for uh, the death of Christ, but it is uh, it it's it is the gospel. And to, to question substitutionary atonement is to question is to question. The, the the basic truth of of, of the gospel so mm-hmm. um so it, it yeah when you when you do that it's uh especially here in baptist uh baptist circles it's uh people raise their eyebrows yeah because you start <laughs> you, you seriously start to think wait a second everything i believed about christian faith is blowing up because that's the central part like that's the central piece and i think what's crazy too is you know because i've thought about it so much and i was like the only thing that I could come up with is there's just something that we don't understand, but it's impossible for us to get to heaven without Jesus being slaughtered and his blood being shed. It didn't make sense, but I was like, I guess, I guess there's a lot of scientific stuff I don't understand, but it's true. I guess this is one of them, you know, almost like a scientific spiritual truth, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, uh, as far as, you know, I grew up, uh, as a Baptist and a conservative uh, evangelical Baptist, Southern Baptist Church, and uh, it was you, that's something you just didn't question. It was just uh, uh, you were indoctrinated into that idea of of, uh, of redemption that, that that Jesus had to die for our sins, and that makes possible our redemption and and our forgiveness. Yeah. So what what's like started swaying like did, was this did the for example did the new testament authors mm-hmm. did they believe in substitutionary atonement like it was is it, it biblical uh you know it, it's i i don't think so i i don't uh i don't think uh um you know you, in the gospels you, you don't you hardly you don't you don't really get substitutionary atonement in the gospels there's there's maybe one or two texts that you can you can read that way uh, but in my estimation, you have to uh, you have to read into those couple of texts uh, substitutionary atonement. So the go- the gospels uh, are not about substitution- substitutionary atonement at all. Now, uh, Paul, on the other hand, uh, has often interpreted that way, uh, but um, but but Paul doesn't doesn't uh, expound on. 
the meaning and the significance of Jesus's death in any great way. He uses uh, metaphors and symbols. He uses images, uh, and he just kinds of throw he throws them out there and leaves them loose and dangling. Doesn't really uh, doesn't really go into any detail, you know. Uh, and really, the only the only place where Paul actually offers any discussion at all on the significance of Jesus's death in his, is his letter to the Romans. And it's not about uh, substitution at all. It's about participation. It's in uh, Romans uh, six and seven, where he talks about our dying with Christ or in Christ to sin and then being raised with Christ uh, to walk in the newness of life. And so the only place he even uh, expounds on the significance of it uh, he's talking about participation in Christ, not not substitution. Now, do you do you so uh, assuming that this is a mistake and you are right? Do you know historically when the church started to go off on this path of penal substitution? Well, I think uh, I think a lot of point, a lot of scholars point to Anselm uh, uh, during the, about during that particular time uh, when you had this. Uh, legal, judicial kind of uh, uh, setting, and it, it sort of fit the framework of, of that of that day and time. Uh, but it became a, just a very popular thing, I think, in the Western Church in uh, the, the evangelicals of of uh, you know Billy Graham and in in, uh, in in that tradition. I mean, it it just became a staple. It it, it didn't. You know, it wasn't a theory anymore. It wasn't an exp- just one explanation. It was it, it became the the, uh, the teaching of the church, the the, the basis of salvation, and uh, and and that's that's what so many of us grew up with. You know, so our salvation I, then, it, oh, even sorry. in your uh, I was going to say too, in your article you you mentioned uh, it was one of the five principles fundamentals issued in the 1895 in 1895 at the Niagara Conference of Conservative Protestants that were claimed to be necessary for true Christian belief. So that that right. council uh the Niagara Conference kind of in 1895 it, it said, "Hey, you got to believe this in order to follow the tenets of Christendom." Right. Right. It it it's, it was one of the one of the five fundamentals of 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 uh, evangelicalism and uh uh, so it, it was. It was, you know, it's it's it, it for for uh, for evangelicals, many evangelicals. It, it's it's right at the heart of of what the gospel is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So are are you a real Baptist? Or are you just masquerading? <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, get it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people who would ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, that that has uh, you know that's become a a, a part of, of a lot of Baptist tradition that 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 fundamental doctrine. But you know, there there are a lot of Baptists who well, not a lot of Baptists, but there are there are more progressive Baptists around than probably what you what you think. So yeah, probably so. Yeah, let's get a little deeper into this. But I mean, first of all, I, we're living in a bonkers world right now. Pastor Joey over there doesn't believe in hell. He's got a new way to read the Bible now. He believes the, in annihilationism. Baptists, yeah. you know, not sure. there's, I'm not sure anymore. It's a, it's yeah. kind of interesting to me just that we can ask these questions and process them. So I'm kind of thrilled, tickled at this moment because I actually right. don't still see how you're going to work this out. I'm kind of looking forward to hearing you explain. Well, how the heck does salvation work then, Mister? Um, well, in First Corinthians fifteen, where Paul says, uh, "You know, I, I, I pass on to you um, what I received—that Jesus died for our sins." Right? Yeah. Well, you know, if you come at it from the framework that I did for so many years, it, automatically you don't even question it. it that that substitution, right. right? I mean, he Jesus right. died for our sins. He died in our place. He took our punishment. That makes uh, that makes redemption possible and forgiveness possible. But but you know th- th- there are other ways you can you can understand that. Uh, you could translate it on account of or because of, uh, and there is a sense uh, in which uh, the powers that be that crucified Jesus uh, represent all of us. Uh, you know. In the early preaching in the book of Acts, uh, 
substitution is not even a part of it. it it's, it's, uh, you know, in Acts two, where 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 Peter's talking, he says, uh, he says this this man Jesus, whom God appointed, uh, you crucified, and he lays it on, uh, at the feet of the of the leadership, and he says, uh, this man whom you crucified, God raised uh, from the dead, and so. Uh, the powers that be crucified him. They rejected him. And there's a sense in which um, we participated in that. We're complicit in that. Mm -hmm. So you could say on, on account of our sins, uh, our we were a part of that system that uh, crucified and rejected Jesus. So that, that's one way. Uh, another way, uh, he bore our sins as a scapegoat to end all scapegoating. No, uh, uh, he. Uh, it was a way of exposing uh, the evils of that of that system. He 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 endured it. He he uh, bore it upon himself. He he uh, he absorbed it so that uh, it could be exposed, and uh, it, we could overcome it. So there's you know there's different ways that you can you can read that unless you're just locked into seeing it as mm -hmm. as substitution. Now why but why what, what so about what, salvation though? Well, I mean who's who is saved and how? Yeah, and 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 part part uh, that's kind of what I wanted to ask too. Like, doesn't can't this bleed into so many different things? Like, such as couldn't this open the door for every every person that dies? They stand before the throne and God says, "All right, here's your last chance. I want to forgive you." And everybody gets that shot. Well, I don't, you know, I don't see it working that way. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think um, my simple definition of evangelism is um, helping people discover who they already are, and that is God, the, the they're God's beloved daughters and sons. Yeah. And my simple definition of discipleship is helping people become who they already are. And salvation, that's that's what really salvation is. Salvation is about transformation. It's about the process of becoming who we are and, and who, um, you know, what God intends for us to be. Forgiveness is an easy thing. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, why why would God need uh, a sacrifice in order to to forgive sin. I mean, if God is a loving God, uh, the Abba that Jesus talked about, then you know, God can just forgive sin because God is a forgiving God. So you don't need you don't need a sacrifice in a sense for 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 forgiveness. And and salvation is so much more than than forgiveness. It, it's think of, I mean you can think about it this way. What does God want out of our lives? I mean, what does God want for God's children? I would think God would want for us to become uh, the best human beings we can be. And in a sense, that's what salvation is. It's, it's, it's becoming who we were created to be, uh, becoming who we already are, children of God. So uh, that's sort of, I mean, it kind of in a nutshell how I how I look at salvation. Salvation, I think, it has a lot of different aspects, but basically, it's it's a process of, of transformation, a process of 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 becoming and and reflecting the image of God. So, what? How do you? I mean, is is your answer like what you just said? Is that your answer also to people that say, "Yeah, but what about God's justice? He also hates sin. And there has to be a consequence. He's not just if he just, you know, a, a God I, of wrath." Yeah, I hear a lot of people say, "You just can't, you know, sweep it under the rug." You would say, "Yes, you can. He's God, and if He forgives, that is the sacrifice." I mean, well, what? I mean, that, I mean, that's. I think that's one of the problems with the, the whole theory of substitution substitutionary atonement is that you you have to postulate this this uh, cosmic idea of justice that that God has to conform to or that God has to abide by well God doesn't have to do that right I think at that point we're imposing our own sense of what's just uh, on God so here's what's here's what's interesting what if Jesus caved in the Garden of Gethsemane are we still okay like, could God, would God have said, okay, 
That one didn't work out. I understand that was too much to ask of anybody, but humanity, I'm still going to save them. Yeah, I don't, there would be no problem. I mean, it would. When you think about it, it's 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 only in retrospect that the New Testament writers attributed redemptive significance to the death of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, it, it, when they reflected uh, on that event in light of uh, their belief that God had raised him from the dead, uh, then it, it, it takes on uh, saving significance, redemptive significance. But, you know, had that not happened, um, you know, God, um, you know, God can reach us in many different ways. I, you know, as a as a Christian, I know God, experience God uh, through Jesus in the sense that that Jesus for me is the definitive expression of the nature of God. That you know, God loves and looks like Jesus. However, if for non Christians, uh, what what is salvation? Well, uh, God can certainly reach them through other mediators and teachers and uh, means, um, for me as a Christian, it's through Jesus, but uh, I'm, I, I believe God can reach people through a variety of, of means and ways because it's, it's, it's not about, it's not about satisfying some legal claim. It's not about appeasing God through sacrifice or, or, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's about our own personal transformation and becoming what we were created to be. That sounds like dangerous talk to me, though. But, <laughs> he, he, but, but what I was going to say, the interesting thing about this, too, is one of the problems I've always felt, I guess, maybe kind of in, innately or in, inherently inside with substitutionary atonement is the fact that it takes responsibility for my actions away in some, and in, in, at least in a small way, like, oh, well, I'm too, I'm too weak. I'm too sinful. So that's just who I am. But because of Jesus, he, ta- he did it, he took it all away and I'm good. So if this world burns and I don't, you know, I, you know, w- w- heaven is the, is the kingdom, you know what I mean? I, right now, is it or something? Yeah. You, I mean, think about it just, just from a common sense point of view, it, it, it eliminates uh, moral responsibility. It, it, and, 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 and when you, and here again, when you read the gospels, I mean, what's it all about? It, it's, it's about how we live. It's how we relate to each other. It's loving God, loving neighbor, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, I mean, the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, it, yeah. there's not a, a word in the Sermon on the Mount about what we should believe. It's all about how we should live. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, just from a common sense perspective, um, substitu- substitutionary atonement has a, you know, has a lot of flaws. Well, let me think about it out loud now that you say that, and I'm digesting it a little bit. So I'll address a couple of things. Well, first of all, there's a cognitive biases that would that at work here. So on, what we do know about human nature is probably that the idea that uh, there's justice and the punishment, and it must have been that way, like you said, coming out of the earlier cultures. That's pretty much built into human nature, and it definitely satiates people who want that idea of justice. Like, yes, right. something had to pay, something had to die. That sacrificial right. thing is something that we like or gravitate toward because there's so much injustice in the world we want to feel like it was paid for. There's a simple solution for that, maybe. And we also love to be exclusionary. Like, well, since I'm the one that's, it helps everybody go, well, I'm one of the ones that saved right. them because I, he died for me. So right. it also plays into yeah. our individualism and selfishness, I suppose. So those biases would cause people to overly possibly lean toward substitutionary atonement, I would think. So if you try to eliminate those and look at it more objectively, we'd have a different view of Jesus. So maybe it would be like this. If Jesus was out preaching and telling everybody, and he was trying to train everybody and figure out what's going on and explain to people stuff, he could have said, um, he could have said in the Sermon on the Mount, instead of talking about how to, who to help and how to think and how to get by and the way in this life, he could have told everybody, look, y'all are pretty messed up, but you're lucky I'm here. I'm going to turn a trick for you guys and... <laughs> The, you know, you won't have to worry about much down here, uh, but we'll, you know, we'll, you'll be on the inside group with me, 
later on, and then when all this, all this burns, we'll all be in heaven and party together. And that's kind of one of those dangerous things that I think that, especially in Joe, you can speak to this the way you grew up. It's like there is a huge insider tribal-like mentality, like we're the ones that know, we're a small group, and we get the ultimate and eternal benefit. And the stuff that's here doesn't really matter so much. And that's a pretty dangerous view. But Joey, would you say in your evangelical evangelicalism you grew up in, that was kind of prevalent yes. or, or some type of thinking? Yeah, yes, for sure. But I, I do think that that's an incomplete picture because people are also very upset that people are going to hell. Now, maybe yeah. not in the Reformed uh, theology, but I mean, I saw people literally sobbing over people going to hell. So I don't think yeah. it was one of those, yes, we're in and sure. who cares about everybody else? Yeah, but it's still like, it's still, there's something still very appealing about we are the small group. And of course, you want to grow your group and all that stuff too. So I'm not painting anybody that believes in substitutionary atonement as a a bad person or or celebrates that others are crushed or left out or not saved. But there's also the fear of just, wait, if there is a such thing as salvation that requires five distinct tenets, like that thing you were talking about earlier, well, I want to get those right, and I better be on the safe side of doing the actions yep. that make me secure. Like, yep. that's another bias that probably plays into it as well. Yeah, one number, like those those five tenets, the other, the other ones were, uh, you know, you ha- no matter what, don't ever question inerrancy of Scripture, Divinity of Jesus, the historic, how do you say, that of the virgin birth and the physical corporal return of Jesus, which is like, here's the thing. I I think I believe in a lot of that stuff. That's not like, that's not, it's not that those are off the table, but I like that we can kind of question those for sure. Like just, just in a, in a way of thinking about it, like I would anything like my house payment, can I get it cheaper or is it, or whatever, like, Practically, it's it's good to because once I decide, oh wait a minute, I one hundred percent believe in substitutionary atonement. If I in there, then that means it's true for me. I'm figuring stuff out, and I'm I've learned, and I have ownership of it. But it's interesting, like too, that and, and then the idea too of just inerrancy. That's even once again, like that's another one that's been pushed more recently than like I don't know if inerrancy even was pushed in the Bible. Would you, would, did you have anything to say on that, Chuck? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's it's really a, a kind of a recent recent. Uh, Historically, I mean, it's a it's a relatively recent development, I think, uh, coming out of our our this sense of, uh, you know, our rationalism and and, uh, this idea that there has to be some objective uh, truth. Um, But, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, I think it'd be hard pressed to 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 say that this was a a part of the historical church uh, through the ages. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you just look at something like the historicity of the virgin birth or one of these things, like it's it. On one hand, of course, they might be good, they might be right, but on the other hand, to strictly say, and this is where people this day and age are kind of really having to rethink things, because I don't think many people believe if you have a wrong opinion about one of those, you cannot be saved, and that that's right. another way to say this. Like, right. if you question these or are not certain about those. Like maybe you pray to Jesus every night and he's your Lord and Savior. And you do check every box. It's just for some reason you're so dumb you don't believe the virgin birth happened or you're not so right. sure. Well, now you're not a Christian. Like that's the that's the type of thinking that everybody's like, wait, hang on a second. It can't be that. It just can't be that specific. So the fact that you can talk about it and be open to discussing it without your salvation being on the line and risk going to hell to discuss the virgin birth, that is where we're at as a society, I think, and and that's kind of an interesting thing. But uh, well, right, Chuck, you didn't write these articles right. and stuff to to lead people straight right. to hell. Right? <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't your goal, was it? No, uh, you know, actually, just the opposite. I think. I mean, in a, in a in a in a in a metaphorical sense, I guess. But yeah. um, you know, you were talking about ex- th- these types of teachings uh, are are really aimed toward uh, an exclusive kind of version of Christianity, right? Mm. And you know, I, I often, you know, I often say that that uh, uh, and emphasize that there's not a whole lot of hope of our Christianity making making a major impact in our world for God's kingdom for a just world 
if we cannot get past our exclusive versions of Christian faith. I mean, so Jesus's main, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. So Jesus's main reason for being here then does that, some people would say it this way, that reduces Jesus to simply being here to demonstrate and show us the way and teach us some stuff. Uh, in, in a sense, uh, I mean, I look at Jesus from my perspective, Jesus is the way in the sense that he, shows us, reveals the way to know God, to experience God, to uh, love our neighbor as ourself, uh, the way that leads to, uh, to really fullness of life. There are, he's not the only way, but he's my way. Uh, he's the Christian's way. Well, you may be a Baptist, but you ain't no Christian. <laughs> you know, the word Christian the way it's, the way it's thrown, uh, thrown around today, uh, it, it can it can mean a lot of different things. <laughs> so so did you are are you? In How s- can a Baptist be re- so respectful of other people and their beliefs? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> this, I can't believe it, Chuck. <laughs> so is is Jesus still God in this narrative? Uh, oh shit. That's a stumper, oh, Joey. You got it. <laughs> you hadn't thought of that, have you? Uh, well, Jesus is not God walking around in the flesh, uh, I, I would say. Jesus reveals God. Jesus uh, uniquely, and I would say for me as a Christian, definitively uh, makes God known uh, what God is like. Uh, and shows me the way in which I can know God and uh, make God known, the way in which I can experience uh, the transformative power of God. Uh, But he's fallible? uh, Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. If he wasn't, how would he be human? Interesting. Uh, You know, and you know, that that was a, actually, that, that was one of the, one of the factors that 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 uh, got me thinking when I was uh, pretty steeped in in uh, my conservative evangelical uh, training and upbringing is is that is that Jesus uh, Jesus was so high and lifted up so so deified so glorified so exalted that you know he 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 really didn't relate to me he was unattainable and and when I began to uh, let Jesus be human and see in Jesus what is possible for human beings, Jesus became a transformative uh, person in my life. Is his dad Joseph? This is interesting to me. Like, is that his pops? Uh, Well, sure it is. Um, Yeah. So now now why did the, what what was the... but so is God, and so uh, and it's the same for you and me. We, we too are sons and daughters uh, of God. Now, what was the motivation of gospel writers or people that um, changed what the gospel writers wrote, whichever way you look at it? What was the motivation of making Mary out to be a virgin? Like, what was there? It was their intent to say, like, by the church to say, whoa, 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 this this guy's God. Like, was there motivation to say that when maybe deep down inside they didn't believe it? Virgin births were, were nothing. I mean, the virgin birth is nothing unique uh, to that culture and time. It was it was one way of of uh, communicating uh, a person's uniqueness uh, in in that particular uh, that particular religion or uh, setting. Uh, you know, there are a lot of a lot of uh, stories about uh Caesar you know about the the, the uh, Roman ruler uh Roman rulers uh, how you know relating to virgin birth so virgin birth was not totally something totally unique but I, I think it was the way for the gospel writers to uh, to communicate the uniqueness of Jesus uh, to our faith and and the role that he has, uh, in our lives, and 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 that is, I mean, he, he, he there is a sense. I mean, Jesus is, you know, I would say Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my liberator. 
it was a way of I think of 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 uh, pointing out God's uh, the unique way in which Jesus uh, experienced God, knew God, and uh, uh, was an agent of God and a representative of God, a prophet of God, teacher of God uh, in the world. So that also then affects like what do you like the Trinity? Mm-hmm. Do you is that is that is that a, a staple in your belief? Well, I'm a functional Trinitarian. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You know. Um, I use Trinitarian language, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, but here again, what 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 does that mean? I mean, uh, you know, uh, how do you define the Trinity? You know, right? Yeah. So do you do you look at even different faiths such as Islam as people that are ultimately uh, they have their eyes on the same God that we do? There is just different lenses. Like, is this more of a universalism because you know with with the atonement theory and seeing jesus as lord it's a lot easier for christians to say he's i mean he's the only way he's the only one that came and was god muhammad's not god so now that we have given that up um so to speak it seems like all the other religions can kind of be inclusive in this well that's true i mean i i i, uh, I think you know when you when when you give up exclusivism and, and and say that that you know you can get to God only through my way, this way, through the Jesus way. Then you leave open the, the possibility that that uh, there are other mediators, there are other ways through which uh, God can make God's will known, and through which we can experience God and and uh, know God. For me personally, as a Christian, I would say Jesus is is for me. Not for everyone, but for me, uh, the definitive revelation of God. Now that that's it. he's not, you know, he's not the only way, but he is my way. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll draw a, a strong. De- I mean, many things you've said here will draw a strong delineation for for most people. Like I ain't going there, you know. So I don't know how you respond to that exactly. Um, yeah, you probably get some pushback from some people, don't you? <laughs> some pushback. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of mildly a way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you're so free in uh, uh, talking about it. Here, one of the things I think that is powerful about this is it takes away my team, your team, or you know that, exactly. that I I'm, I don't have any power say in searching for God or wrestling with God. Like I always like that imagery yeah. of wrestling with God. Like God is here. And he wants you to learn about him, fight with him, be mad, be upset, be humble. Like so, so just if I can, it, for all the people out there, they're like, what? Why? So if you could sum it up, why? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Then it sounds like you do believe that he died on the cross. Why? What was it? Uh, he was. He died because uh, the powers that be uh, rejected him. He taught uh, unconventional wisdom. He uh, challenged uh, the religious gatekeepers. He uh, spoke out of his own inner authority and sense of oneness with God rather than quoting rabbis and and trying to uh, walk in step with the religious establishment. He uh, violated uh, numerous laws that uh, the gatekeepers use to determine who's in and out and who's holy and who's unholy. Uh, Jesus was a reformer. He, 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 uh, I have no doubt he wanted to uh, reform his own tradition. Uh, he didn't come to start a new religion. He, he wanted to reform his own. And uh, as a result, he, he was marginalized by the establishment. Uh, and he identified with the marginalized, which also got him into trouble. So in, in, in numerous ways, extending the love of God, uh, the inclusive love of God, breaking down walls and barriers, reaching out to the, uh, uh, to the marginalized, uh, setting free the oppressed, he got into trouble. I mean, he, he, uh, he and he knew that. I, he, he, I have no doubt that he knew that, uh, that he would be killed as a result of, of, uh, of telling the truth and uh, uh, preaching love and um, 
uh, identifying with those that the religious establishment had rejected and, and, and condemned. So um, they put him to death. And, and, and the earliest, the earliest Christian, the earliest uh, Christian preaching, according to Acts, if, if that's historically reliable, that's what it emphasized. You know, uh, you crucified Jesus, you killed Jesus, and then, but God vindicated Jesus uh, by raising him up. And uh, so all that he stood for, the message that he preached, uh, the values that he uh, embodied, uh, the grace and truth that emanated from his life, uh, that's what God vindicated. And, and you know, you, 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 don't, you don't even have to, you don't have, even have to know Jesus. Uh, you don't even have to have heard of Jesus to embody the values and the, the, the grace, the truth, the love, the compassion, the kindness, the, the, the inclusiveness, the, the passion for justice that Jesus uh, embodied in his life and work. And, and when, you, when we do that, um, you know, we, we are on God's side. I mean, we, we, are, um, we are living in the spirit. You know, as, as, one, as, as, the, as the writer of 1 John says, whenever we love, you know, that's, that's, God, that's God working in us because God is love. Wherever love is, God is. You know, so um, I, I, I learned that through Jesus. I, 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 I discover, you know, this about God and this about the kingdom of God through Jesus. But you don't have to do it through Jesus. I mean, you, 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 can, you can learn it in other ways. Uh, but that's what's important. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not believing stuff about about Jesus. It's, it's living like Jesus. It, it's uh, embodying the, the grace and truth that was, that, that was so brilliantly uh, embodied and incarnated in the life of Jesus. That sure sounds hard and a lot of work, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, the, the, the easy way is just to believe stuff, right? I mean, right. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, the, it really is. The, the easy way is uh, Jesus pays it all. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it, it's, it's Jesus, Jesus pays the price for our sin. Let's, you know, we believe that, uh, we, and, and, you know, different traditions have their different, different things that they emphasize, you know, and in my Baptist heritage, it was, you had to walk down the aisle, right? I mean, right. you know, you had to walk down the aisle, take the preacher by the hand and, and say, say the sinner's prayer. And then that sort of, yep. that, that, that clinched the deal, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, whether it's baptism, whatever it is, uh, you know, you have to, you have to, uh, assign, uh, the certificate, so to speak, you know, you, and that clinches it. And then, you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to get really serious about it, then you can be a disciple, you know, you can, right. you can, you can, <laughs> you know, you can love your neighbor as yourself. If you, I mean, if you really take it, if you want to go that far, take it that far, but, uh, you don't really Way have into, to, right? Yeah. So, We've, yeah. we've severed, you know, and, and see, that's that's what happens when you make salvation, this this juridical, legal transaction. It's just forgiveness of sins. It's just uh, uh, being declared not guilty, um, you know, and when you separate that from real life, that's what you end up with. And it makes for really, really bad Christianity. Yeah, it ends up making us seem like hypocrites and, and not like you don't you don't really like that kind of Jesus. You know what I mean? That's not yeah, the right. no, it's not going to convince anybody. So anyway, well, Pastor Chuck, we really do appreciate you coming on today. This has been very enlightening, and uh, we'd love to have you back sometime in yeah, the future too, it. and talk love a little it. bit more about the stuff. Sure, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it very much. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sure, and uh, yeah, because we'll probably have more questions and uh, stuff in the future as well. So thanks for coming on today. We sure do appreciate yeah. it. Well, you're welcome. Enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Okie dokie. All right, Chuck Queen. I, I mean, he. I, it's amazing how free and confident he was. I, I felt like he was like saying stuff where I thought every Baptist would just be like, 
so angry or mad. Well, or, I'm sure or, they are. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. right. <laughs> but the, but he, he, that seems like it, it seems like he's pretty cool with it though. Like it's just so relaxed, that, right? I I found found that quite interesting, and people missed it if they didn't get to see him. But I mean, he it, it's just not really what you'd expect. He is just a you know. He seems older, like a Baptist preacher. White, yeah. It looks like a conservative, older, white, gray-haired, calm man that's just, I mean, you know, it, it just, the things coming out of his mouth don't really match the stereotype of what I had. And of course, there's a million progressive Christians that share these views. He don't look he, like Rob Bell. No, no, but <laughs> what's very interesting is hearing it come from him with that, you know, the the way he speaks and the the, the little accent he has. It was, it was just, it was kind of a... Uh, an unlikely package for those views, which aren't, you know, those, those views people are relatively familiar with. It's it's the general progressive liberal kind of thing. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't really, you know, I I think some of those trying to say here, I I don't really agree with all those views or anything. Like, I I mean, I still hold some of not that really, but I, I love, but I also hate the notion of, things being so exclusive and locked down. I know that's wrong too. So for me, that's an exercise in really indulging that point of view, which I I don't really think I hold, but maybe I just don't hold it yet. How about this? If you frame it this way, for example, like a lot of people go, well, wait a minute, you're saying you can get to God anyway. That's universalism, or at least some kind of, you know, broken down uh, quick version of it. But at the same time, he's not saying that what you're believing is wrong or that if you believe that in the deity of Christ and that Christ is God's son and he's the Trinity, all stuff. What he's saying is this is what is true for him. So what is true for you? But that seems well, in a I way, poten- it must be offensive to people. I, I right? think there's, well, I would just put it this way. I'm not sure that anything I believe is true. Right. I, I think it might be. And I seem to change that a lot, right. but there are things about substitutionary but, but, atonement but that I find the- beautiful and not negative, but very positive. Like uh, right. the image of, of getting all A pluses on my report card because of the sacrifice right. of Jesus that's a funny way to put it, I guess, but that that is a beautiful thing that actually does cause me to treat other people differently, too. I, I think he, you're right, except for also you could say, wait a minute, Jesus is the, the example of how you're supposed to live your life. Love your neighbor, be be around people outside of your group or your echo chamber, do all these things. And in fact, even when you do those good things, it's going to make people so <laughs> mad that they kill yeah. you. Now, also, how about this? You might not be as far Do you? How, how confident are you, percentage-wise, that somebody that isn't a Christian is going to go to hell oh, or no, be in no, I don't. I, so, so in a way, you, you don't think that somebody yeah. believing something different nope. than you automatically disqualifies them at all. I'll give you an analogy. This is what it feels like. To I know this will resonate with people. So imagine you are a six-year-old, and you've been told about a water park. Yep. And this water park <laughs> has the biggest slides and Ooh. you've been you've told you've been for three years from the age three to six, your parents and your classmates and yep. everybody's been telling you about this water park that so you're going to go get to visit one day. Mm. And they, they, I mean, and my Went gosh, wild. They, they, people talk about the order you're going to do the, the slides in and what you're going to do, what the inner tubes are like, and what Patrick the weather's going to be like. shirt on. And it's, it's the best thing ever. And when we go, it's just going to be amazing. And then one, eventually as you get older, you finally get to a realization. Somebody tells you the water park is here now. <laughs> see this bathtub? You see your backyard? This is the water park. The water park is here. Right. And that, it's a little, it's just like, oh, okay. And well, that is point, cool. though, we've been telling everybody, you've been telling everybody, wait a minute, the kingdom yeah. of heaven is, uh, kingdom of God is heaven. This earth's going to pass away. You right. wait till you get to that water park. This, this yeah. what we're doing here is whatever. Right. Jesus yeah, handled it. The water park, the water park. It's just and like, then, well, yeah, the, the water park is what you make of it here. Right. Oh, okay, fine. Well, that's not, I, that's really not as exciting, though. I, I agree with you. I'm, sl- I, I'm <laughs> I feel like I'm fairly slow moving. There's things about, uh, Christianity that are just inside of me that I believe strongly. And, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not over substitutionary atonement. I'm not saying that I don't believe it. I'm not there. And he's saying he might be, or he is, or whatever. But that's what I like. At least we can hear a, a differing uh, opinion or thought or belief. And so I'm able to listen to that and glean some things from it and then question God, question, why did I just believe this? I mean, why in the world did I just automatically just assume no matter what the same way as i've all, I, for the longest time i always believed in inerrancy even though i had little questions like i mean does that mean every comma every single thing in this uh bible in the drawer at this motel six is exactly god. i mean god this is god no matter what and every single word period everything all you know whatever it is it's all god breathed all this stuff like 
it's okay just to think about it and question, and maybe I'll get there. Maybe that, yep, ended up being true. That's fine. Less, that's what I'm saying. Let's it might be true. Let's at least admit that it is a crazy notion that God would throw most of us in hell for not being able to figure this shit out. Right? I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's just kind of confusing. You know yeah, what's really I, funny I, though? I that, that. That, well, here's what's really funny too. I was like, because the way Pastor Chuck looked, like he looks like a Baptist preacher. I was like, oh man, he's gonna be weirded out by Joey being annihilationist. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was like that was nothing. That, he wasn't that didn't phase him at all. Hey, boy. hey, this is embarrassing for me to admit, but I I was really locked in on that interview but i had seriously like a two minute brain lapse to where i checked out and i didn't even realize that i had been so then i had a question but i knew (laughs) that i was risking asking a question that he had just talked about and then being embarrassed and embarrassing you guys and all that but what i wanted to ask him and he may have what were you thinking about nachos uh what were you think what was your brain lapse you just went somewhere like daydreaming no a super close friend of mine just passed away so basically That's a brain lapse yeah, for yeah. Pastor Joey Spencer. <laughs> so basically, I was going to ask him, what were people in the New Testament so mad at Jesus about that they would crucify yeah. him? It's like, because he was against the yeah, establishment. Yeah, he covered most of I mean, that. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, he did cover it. Good thing he pushed he back. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't ask that. Yeah, we had to do yeah. one edit. There was one I was time. wondering why the podcast was going so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joey, read them clubbers. We got to get out of here. We dude. also, I was going to say, we also had to make one edit in the podcast. The first time, uh, we, we let him revise his answer, but the first time we asked him about the Trinity, he, his answer was Trinity Schminity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, BC Clubbers, y'all are supporting this heretical filth is what we're going to call it. Heretical filth. Highway to hell. Tanner Conticelli. I think that's Italian. Conticelli. Uh, Matt Nichols. He in Texas. Well. Franklin Dahl. Robin Hebert. Robin Hebert. I think that's French. There's like a little apostrophe over the E. Over the E. He bear. Joel. He bear. Joel Gillette. Oh, wow. He is rich. His uncle, holy cow, just pretty I much monopolized, monopolized the shaving industry for a long time, but then comes Dollar mm. Shave Club and Harry's yeah. is the oh, best Harry's of all of them. So Janine yeah, so Santoro <laughs> Augusto Dos or Dolce is D O L C E. Augustus Gloof. Hey, hey, you will you that? shut the hell up for just a second so I can I'm get really through these sorry. names? Hey, why don't you oh, say There he the goes names. again. There he goes again. <laughs> Momentary lapse. Momentary lapse. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Another friend. <laughs> Stephanie Rogers, Ali Gove, and Daniel Gatsky. And this club I wish keeps you growing. Said that to, I wish you would have said that to Chuck. Hey, I'm sorry. I, I kind of had a momentary lapse. A close friend of mine just passed away. Let me ask you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.